who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Got a good show for you today. Had a chance to sit down and talk with Ben Winters, who's the author of several books, the Last Policeman Trilogy, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, which I know my friend John Gibson has probably either read or is planning to read. Ben got to Indianapolis just about the same time I got to Indianapolis a couple of years ago. It's good sit down, went over to his house, hung out with him for a little while. Looking forward to hearing what you all think. He's got a new book he just started working on, um, just got announced. So he's in a good mood, one of those good writing spaces. And for me... The Downtown Writers Jam happening at Indie Reads Books in November. It's coming along quite nicely. You can find all of the information, all the authors, all the times. It's 630 to 830. Um, I think it's November 8th. It's all on the site, com. We have authors coming from Chicago and St. Louis. May have somebody from Atlanta, have some Indianapolis writers as well. It's going to be a good time, so make sure you go sign up, tell your friends about it, tweet about it, post it on Facebook, share it. Go to thegeekypress.com backslash events. You will find out all the information about that. Uh, it looks like this is going to turn into a quarterly thing. So um, we are trying to make plans for what's going to happen next year. Um, and I may start trying to gather some writers ahead of time for that. A uh, lot of good interest, so we're happy about that. So today was interesting because um, sitting down with Ben, sitting down with the writers is always a, that is what I do here, that is what I do in my life, um, and it's always interesting to come across people who do things differently, um, and then it, you begin to question the creative process that you have. Um I am surrounded still, this is sort of the recurring theme now, it's just piles of shit everywhere in, in my place. And now I'm running uh, like mad uh, between Pittsburgh, where I'm doing some project work with Carnegie Mellon in, in Ball State, where we're moving forward on some projects here. And there's, just, there's no time to write. I haven't even got down to the fifth wheel, down to the lake on the weekend. Um, the decks are just never cleared. And, and, you know, Ben schedules out his time. Um, which we talk about, like, in, in really sort of meticulous ways. Uh, doing the things that I 
want to do, that I always tell my young riders to do, which is take it seriously, take yourself seriously. And there's just it, finding the time to set that aside, whether, it, you know, to both work out in the morning, to write in the morning, to get my grading done, to, to you know, maintain my human relationships with people. I'm finding more and more that the writing is becoming difficult to do. And, and, and it, that is a thing that concerns me in a great like, I just want to take all of my shit in this place and throw it in the garbage can and, like, go to a cabin and start over. Like, somehow I've dragged everything from my past along with me. Like, I can't ever just throw shit away and think, I'm never going to look at this again because it's now it's time to write. It's time to do the next thing. Even though I do that with the writing. Like, I don't go back and revisit old writing. But, like, everything around that, I keep that shit forever. So... That has been a thing that's on my mind is what, like, how am I going to go about approaching this writing stuff? Because whenever I regiment it, whenever I tell myself, like, here's the times I'm going to write, I always find ways not to do that. And it's beginning to become my habit instead of the writing part of it. So this has been on my mind. Like, how do you go about doing this? How, like, what is the thing that needs to happen? I mean, I think part of the reason that the jam is coming up is because there is an impetus to, like, I've signed on to, I think I'm doing Indie Word Lab down at Indie Reads Book in December. I think that's when I go. Like, so I have to have something written for that. There has to be something to present for that. Like, I have these deadlines that I arbitrarily give myself or that I, that I add so that I make sure that I sit down to write, which invariably I do the same shit that I did in college, which is like put it off till the last second, even though I have all these, you know, grand plans for how I do it. So sitting down and talking with Ben, um, talking to other writers, particularly successful writers, like he's had, um, you know, his, I think Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, which is a New York Times bestseller, um, the last Policeman series trilogy, uh, it's interesting because the you, you can see the growth. I, I read two of them over the weekend, two of the first two books, two of the three. And there was a growth. Like, I could see the growth happening on the page um, because he puts in the time to do it. And he was writing. And even though um, I'm not sure I was the target audience for the book, uh, either of the books, um, I still, like, as a writer, I found that enjoyable. I found it enjoyable to see what was happening. So I'm looking forward to the third one to see what else happens. And then as we talk about today, it's the, the, the craft of going through all that and sort of evolving how he's telling stories and the things that he finds important and the processes that he goes through that is leading to, the, to his new book. Um, even though it's not related, there's no relationship to it. The process is related. That's how you get better. And so as I continue to pile up projects that aren't getting finished, uh, I'm realizing that I need to go back and tell people retroactively, no, like I just need to push stuff off my plate and, and really reconfigure my life in a way that gets me up in the morning and, and working instead of like getting me up to go do other things. Because it's driving me crazy. Like it is the career path and arc that I had 15 years ago changed um, in some measure because of my alcoholism. You know, I drank myself out of um, positions that I was in. I didn't get fired, but, like, I, there was just a stature of people that I was um, learning from and working with that changed all of a sudden, and, like, the bottom dropped out. And, and I think that it has been di difficult to recalibrate that career fall into the writing, right? Into sort of getting back into the what I did before, which was like write every day. So I'm trying to, as I you know, talk to Ben, as I talk to these other writers, um, many of which you'll be hearing in the next few weeks. Uh, this is sort of a theme that is in the back of my head. Like, how do you go about like rebuilding a thing that's been broken? Um, particularly as I'm listening to these folks talk about the ways in which their career, not necessarily has just gone up, but the, the ways in which they have approached sort of the craft, not sort of, approached the craft of what they do. 
So it was a great conversation. I never met Ben before, um, and it was uh, really fun to sit down and talk with him about the process and, and where he's at with things and, and where he's going. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, make sure you go to thegeekypress.com backslash events to find out about the Writer's Jam. You'll see all the books and things that we have there. Now, our interview. So I just got your book. I got the is, is the is the last policeman the first book that you published? No, no. I I published other books also. So what was the first book that you that you wrote? The first book that the first novel that I had published was a book called Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, which is a very very strange first book to have published, but that was my first book. Um, and then I did uh, another one of those sort of zany mashup books. Yeah. And then I did a sort of. Um, thriller, kind of supernatural thriller called Bedbugs, and then after that was The Last Policeman. Okay, so, and actually, it's somewhere in there, too, were two middle grade novels, right, two kids' novels, so, actually, technically, The Last Policeman was my, like, sixth novel, really? although in a way, it was, I, I feel like it marked the beginning of my real, not, that's not fair to say, I love all my books, uh, but it marked a new sort of trajectory for me, and a new sense of, um, I guess, where I think my career is ultimately going to be. So maybe that's why, because when I was looking, I did, I remember, I did see that, because there's all the sense, there's all the whatever and whatever and zombie books yeah, yeah. and stuff like yeah. that now, but the the the, um, the last policeman was, I tweeted this out yesterday, it reminded me of Trancers. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, you know the movie Trancers? I actually, I saw that tweet, I haven't, I don't know Trancers. Yeah, yeah, so nobody does, right? It's this science fiction movie where uh, uh, Tim Thompson uh, goes back in time and he meets Helen Hunt, right? And he's got a, these people are trying to kill these folks, and it's just sort of a weird, bad sci-fi movie. But it's amazing, like if you watch the movie for like sci-fi folks, it's just it was the turning. It was just a moment where, where like sci-fi nerdy folks. And the whole time I was reading the book, I had this like image in my head of what the story was or how the story like looked to me, like this mm-hmm. sort of dystopian, but not like sad, like. Obviously, the world is ending, um, but it didn't seem like a sad book to me. Like, it seemed more like a noir detective right. book that happened to have this sort of sci-fi thing to it. Yeah, and people have been like, isn't it really sad to write such a sad, about such a sad thing, you know, the end of the world? And I didn't, I didn't find the book, the books to be sad at all. Um, I mean, because, I think in part because I, hopefully my hero is, um, he's like, uh, he, he's not really sad. I mean, he's got his own stuff going on, but he is trying very much not to be affected by the end of the world. And I think that experience hopefully is what the reader has also, that we're, like him, we're focused on other things. Yeah. Because, you know, his whole deal is, well, there's nothing we can do about this, so why dwell on it? Yeah, in fact, it's almost not part of the book at all. Well, it is. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, right. like, it's, it's, the, it's the water that the book is swimming in, but it isn't, that's not what I wanted to write about. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to write about um, the craziness of the end of the world, although inevitably that that's part of the, DNA of the story, it's really about him and his adventures. Yeah, and it seemed, um, it was, I mean, it seemed like a detective book. It seemed like a thing, like that was, the, the everything else was just sort of this backdrop to yeah. it. Right. And that was why Transfers sort of kept coming up, because it's not really about time travel and science fiction. It's really about, like, this guy trying to figure out who's trying to kill these folks, right? right? And, like, it happens to be in this world. In my opinion, uh, a lot of the really great, a lot of the really great, um, work in sort of, you know, quote-unquote genre uh, places, science fiction and detective storytelling, is where the focus is not necessarily on whatever the conceit is. Yeah. The conceit, the sort of bit of the storytelling is a way of allowing the author to think and, and write about stuff that is universal or, or familiar to readers of all kinds. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the, you know, so the last policeman... Although, yeah, totally, it's about the end of the world. It's really about this guy and him dealing with the fact of his impending death and what how to, how to order his life, um, which is something that all of us are going to have to deal with, right? Right. So there, there's a moment in uh, Joss Whedon's uh, Firefly series where, I don't know if you've seen it or nope. whatever. I, oh, don't tell people you haven't seen Firefly. So they're out in the middle of space and they're sort of on the road and, like, there's one guy who keeps up the conceit of he's a doctor and so he gets up every morning and does his thing and... 
people keep telling him it doesn't matter out here. And he said, this is where it matters. Right. Like when, when, the, when the structures of society aren't around you, what matters is right. how you – and that was sort of how I saw him, right? Like this character as I'm reading through, I was like, okay, I sort of get – I mean, that was how I took it. Like it was like Transfers, Firefly, that, that genre of non-science fiction and science fiction. Right, right. Um, so how do you settle – like how, do, how does that come about? Like when is the first time you sit down – did not forget the last quiz. When's the first time you sit down and go, okay, I'm going to be a writer? Or that oh, you thing is, like, yeah, uh, we're going to go way back. Well, I mean, I, I think I always knew I wanted to be a writer um, one kind or another. There was, um, I mean, when I was little, even when I was a kid, I always wrote stories. As I think probably a lot of writers have that, like, um, that is part of their origin story or whatever. And I always loved books and comic books and, and science fiction and fantasy um, originally, I wanted to be a playwright, but even before that, I wanted to be a comedian. When I graduated from college, <laughs> I asked my my advisor, my I was an English major, and my advisor my senior year, it's like, what are you intending to do next year? And I said, well, I'm either going to try to go to grad school to get a PhD or go to move to Chicago and try to be a stand-up comedian. And he was basically like, you should, you should go try to be a stand-up comedian. So I did that. Um, so my first sort of why, why did he tell you not to get a PhD? I think, I don't know, I think career prospects. I think he was, So it wasn't that he didn't think that you were going to do well? No, no, well, I don't know, it may have been, but uh, <laughs> I think he was warning me off the length, the years of, of toil uh, for uncertain reward. Unlike state of college. Exactly, yeah. unlike, unlike the theater. So, but this was like, obviously an academic who was like, this is terrible. Done, right? Anything else will be better he than this. Literal, man. <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, so but I did theater stuff for a long time uh, in Chicago, and then in New York I did stand-up comedy, I wrote plays, I acted in plays, um, but I think throughout it all, I was increasingly aware that I wanted to write prose at some point, and then through a series of kind of uh, logistical things, I ended up leaving, well, basically what happened was I had started to play around with writing books, I was getting increasingly frustrated with the, I was then writing, I was trying to write musicals, I was in New York writing um, book and lyrics for shows. And which is just a difficult, difficult art form. It's a very collaborative art form, um, which can prove frustrating in different ways. And it's also, it's all nights and weekends. And I was married and I wanted to, we were going to start a family. And it was like, this is tricky. Whatever. I ended up meeting this publisher, um, Cork Books, because my wife and I moved to Philadelphia for a year uh, for her work. Uh, and I just, I hit it off with these people. I had this book proposal. They were like, we're not going to do that book. Um, you know, that's a dumb idea. But like, well, let's keep in touch. And then I started doing some nonfiction stuff for them. I wrote a bunch of these, um, these they had these worst case scenario guidebooks. That was their big first big thing. I wrote a bunch of those. And then when they needed someone to write um, this this crazy Jane Austen parody, they were like, who can we get to do this? Let's see. So that wasn't your idea. No. You were a hired gun. I was a hired gun. They had, they had had an unexpected, huge success with this book, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Right, right. So that was that the first one? That was the first one. That you didn't have anything to do with. I had nothing to do with it. So this I is not your fault. I and going, <laughs> and going, wow, what a great poster. Holy cow, what right. is that? And they were like, yeah, it's this crazy thing we're trying. We'll see what happens. And then like two months later, it is suddenly this huge phenomenon. They have yeah. launched this phenomenon. But the, the guy who wrote that and moved on to other stuff. He didn't want to make his career out of it. No, well, it's, uh, he actually wrote, he then wrote, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, but he wrote that for Grand Central. He basically took it to another publisher. Um, and so they were like, well, we got to get another one of these out. Who can we get who will do this fast and well? Um, and they're like, Winters. So they called me, and they were like, do you want to write sens- Sensibility and Sea Monsters? And I was like, yes. And they said, we'll pay you. I was like, I, was like, I don't care how much you'll pay me. I'll do that. Uh, so that's the long story. No, no, so, so, so you, you grew up in... I grew up in Maryland, outside D.C. You grew up in Maryland. And yeah. so... Like, were you, were you writing in, like, so what I used to do, I have, I have everything I ever wrote my whole life. It's all in folders and it's, um, divided up by year with introductory notes to graduate students who might be studying me. I was doing this when I was like 10 years old, right? Like organizing everything. Wow. That's that remarkable. <laughs> yeah. That's remarkable. I, because I had no other discernible skill and I knew that from an early age, I right? Like um, I like the self-annotation. Yeah. I have no such, um. Uh, archive available to future scholars. Uh, but <laughs> you some, were writing. Some, uh, yeah, I actually wrote, I wrote a lot of songs. When I was in high school, I wrote songs. I was in a couple bands, and I wrote lyrics, and I wrote a lot of music. Um, that, I think, was probably my first real, what I would consider to be real writing. I mean, I wrote 
goofy stuff. I mean, whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't think they were good songs, but I wrote a lot of songs. Right. The angsty emo poetry. Yeah, of yeah. Teenage a, a good amount of that stuff. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah. Um, and I was heavily under the influence of, um, heavily under the influence of Elvis Costello. I remember I had, um, the, uh, the chord book for his first four albums, and I would play, I just, that's how I learned to play guitar, was learning those songs. And I wrote a bunch of songs that were, I mean, what I'm sure were just, you know, awful imitations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear today's pop music, it probably, I mean, it can't be that bad. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> right? like, uh, um, but so you thought you were going to be a musician. Well, no, I probably knew that I was never going to be a musician. Yeah. I think because I, I could write songs, but I, I can play, but I can only play well enough to play my own songs. Yeah. Like, I wasn't really a musician. Yeah. And, I, um, and then when I went to college, I started writing. I worked for the school newspaper. That yeah. was, um, I got a column in the newspaper, and that was really... And college was at... In college, yeah. Wash you. Wash you. Yeah. And you were English? Is that what you did? English major, yeah. But I mean, I think sort of for lack of anything else, I was good at English and history. And um, I actually sort of wished that I had majored in something else. Uh, it's because I was going to read a lot of books anyway. Right. You know, and I was going to think right. a lot about books anyway. So, like, why didn't I major in, like, something that I would never otherwise right. uh, think about? Which is a classic thing that you think when you're, um, you know, uh, going on 40, and it's like, oh, well, I could, if I could live my life over again, there's always right. there's only so much time. But, but of course, when you're in college, like, what do I like the most? Right. So, and that's what I like the most. And you also have that, like, uh, my dad wouldn't let me do, I had a teaching degree, because yeah. he was like, you, you're not going to be a guy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. it's not really a job. I mean, it's impossible, right? Um, and so, and then I go, end up, I end up working at Condé Nast um, for Wired uh, in, like, 99, and I'm in the room with these, like, World famous editors who are saying things like, "We only hire writers who have an English degree, uh, um, or people that uh, that have um, particularistic skills, like somebody that's went and st- so they weren't hot, like they wanted somebody that knew how to write. They were like, "We can teach you journalism, we can teach you the nonfiction. Right. What we can't teach you is how to write. Yeah, and like yeah. how to like I, I I don't have time to sit down and explain structure to you. Like you can either do three acts or you can't, right. and understand how to pace that or you can't. And um, I was in journalism school at the time, and the whole time this is happening, I'm at Berkeley getting my graduate degree, thinking, "Holy fuck! Like I've done the wrong thing, right? right. Like I've gone to study the thing that they're saying yeah. don't do that." Yeah. Um, so when you graduate, what do you do? Like, what's the next thing? You get the English degree. You've yeah. written the newspaper. I moved to Chicago to do comedy and theater. So you went there before you got a graduate degree. I, I have no graduate degree. Okay, so he was saying, like, as I an undergraduate, you should be a comedian. <laughs> right. I mean, because in school, I wrote the paper. I did comedy. I was in the improv comedy group, which I loved so much. And, in fact, that was sort of my best experience in college. And I ended up moving to Chicago because a lot of my friends who had already graduated yeah. – um, who were doing comedy stuff. So you were going to go to, like, Second City and take yeah, classes? Yeah, I was going to train at Second City. I was going to do stand-up. I was going to do all that stuff. Did you, and you didn't do any of it? I basically did none of it. I ended up writing for the alternative, for an alternative weekly newspaper in Chicago. Not even the... Yeah, well, I worked for the... There were two. There was the Reader and there yeah. was New City. And I did end up writing for the Reader a little bit, but I had a job for a while at New City. I feel like I, everybody... Who, how old are you? Uh, I am 38. So I'm 42. I feel like everybody in our little generation at some point wrote for a new city paper. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's that. funny because that's, that's a, that's a, uh, I learned a lot. And what's great about those papers, to the extent that they're still around, is that that's a good gig when you're when you're 22. You know, and Right. It's like, never going to get any better, right? You're never, and they, they didn't pay very much. No real editors. <laughs> and they had, I got tons of assignments. Yeah. I, I covered everything. Yeah. I wrote about the theater, which is what I love, but I also I wrote about book. I did book reviews. I did yeah. restaurant reviews, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And I, had, I mean, I wrote cover stories. I got a ton of clips. Yeah. I learned a lot about how to write, how to structure right. a feature, which is the same as structuring a book or a right. play. Um, and I had, you know, I learned to be a little bit courageous and interview people and like how to think about things. So yeah. it was a really valuable experience. But I knew, I knew I was never going to be a super successful journalist because I don't like confrontation. Yeah. I don't like to push people. Yeah. I don't like to force people to say stuff. I really like the kinds of stories where it's all, it's easy. I just wasn't, I was never going to get that much better at that. Um, So I did, though. When I moved to New York, I tried a little bit. I was submitting. Like the voice or stuff? Yeah, the voice. And then I had a friend who worked in a magazine called Radar, which was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, But I never, and I always, I came close a couple times to landing a story, but it was never going to (laughs) fly. So. Yeah. So so English journalism comedy, like all the things that pay nothing. Totally. Like, well, here's a steady career. I'll write novels. Um, <laughs> right. you know, finally, I found something. Uh, but you know, here we are. 
So when you wanted to write, like, it was, so, like, I do, I, I, I can't do fiction. I can't make shit up. I can't. It's, I, just, I do not have that capability in any sort of meaningful way. Is that, but is that what you sort of always gravitated to? Like, was the, was the, the journalism stuff, the new city, was that just like a stop along the way? Or did you just like write, did you just whatever, whatever genre you were in? I don't think I had any, that would, that would ascribe retrospectively some sort of plan. Um, I think it was always just like, this is really fun. I want to do this and this and this and this. I want to try this and this and this and this. And then it did. I started doing theater, which was making shit up and which I loved. Uh, but I don't think I ever had a really clear idea of this is where I'm heading. This yeah. is what I want to do. I was never... Never, even in college, I don't think, was I like, I want to be a novelist, yeah. you know? Um, and it really wasn't until I got that gig, which was so random. That gig? Writing Sense, Sensibility and Team. Oh, right, right, right. And I was like, oh, well, now I've published a novel. Not only had I published a novel, it was a New York Times bestseller. Right, right. Which it was going to be. Right. You, you hit know, that, like, right at the top of that rocket. It was rocket. like, it was, the, I mean, it's, it was a total, it was total good fortune that I got the gig because... It was because it was queued up behind Pride and Prejudice. Right. So, so that was the second one. The second one, yeah. So was, this was going to be a hit no matter, no matter what I did. And I, and I like to think, and I believe that I did a really good job with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of that thing. Well, you'd have known if you'd have fucked it up. Well, right. There would have been no. <laughs> the the publisher was delighted. It sold really well. The internet would have melted down yeah, had you safe. fucked it up. It all worked out great. <laughs> and it's like, I hate to say I was just lucky because the truth was, I was prepared. Right. I knew But the I timing was lucky. The skill wasn't lucky, but the timing was. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to be prepared. Yeah. Um, you have to be prepared. Uh, you have to, and I think that's probably, of all the skills that a, a writer can develop, and I mean outside of craft, I yeah. mean in terms of um, life skills, is to be disciplined, be, um, be able to deliver on a deadline, yeah. be easy to work with. Right. Like, don't tell your editor to fuck off yeah, and then yeah. disappear for two months. And even on a more, even on a smaller level, if someone says, "Hey, do you want to write this crazy thing?" Yeah. Don't it, you just kind of go, "Yep." Yeah. You know, you don't go, "Well, boy, mm, let me uh, let me think yeah. about it a little," or like, "How much time can I get?" Oh, that's not enough time. Get a little more time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a matter of confidence, even if you're faking the confidence a little yeah. bit. That's um, because opportunities are rare. You have to really seize them with both hands, and I think that's what I did there, and it's led to a lot of other opportunities. Yeah. It's really interesting um, when people – I was sort of on a career path, and then um, I'm, a reco- like, I'm a recovering addict, and like some things got in the way, and so sort of tapered off. Um, but I, I've always told – so when writers ask me, like, well, how did you get started, I'm like well, – my story is fucking not going to be helpful. I did a shitload of drugs and traveled the country and, like, didn't know I wasn't supposed to take no for an answer. So, like, I just kept going to places until they let me do stuff. Um, and I, particularly students will say, like, well, how do you do it? And I'm like, I, you just do it. How, like, do you, how do you write? How do you do Yeah. Am I a writer? How do I make it? How yeah. do I get a job? I'm yeah. like, the words are there. You just go get them and make things. And What's tricky about it is that there is no – because there are a couple of things that are tricky. One is that there is no one way to right. do it, you know. Right. Uh, uh, you, there, there are so many – If you're good, you're good. Right. Right? I mean – Right. Well, yeah. Yes, but that's not enough. Right. You, you know, you can be great – and either be sort of out of it or sure. difficult to work with or lazy. Yeah. Or um, I guess I think of great as like the whole thing. Like it's not just – the writing is easy, easy right? right? Like the, it's the, you know, getting the 90% stuff in order, like making the contacts. Yeah. You know. And in a way I think that stuff is even more important than being – more important than being a truly brilliant writer because there are probably a lot of truly brilliant writers – who don't, quote-unquote, make it because they can't get their act together. Yeah. Whereas there are a lot of people who are super organized and efficient and hard-charging and smart and disciplined who, even if their talent level isn't at that extraordinary right. level, they're going to make it. They're right. going to do great. Because how many, like, I've just, I, I've, I told uh, some people the other day, like, I've just accepted that I'm Solieri, right? Like, that, that you're, not everybody can be Mozart. Not everybody can be Beethoven. Like, I, I don't have that level of talent. Um, but I show up and I do my stuff now and like I have become sort of that, you know, every, 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 um, TV show needs the working character actors who just sort of make the thing work. And, uh, it's not a thing that you, that I ascribe to or that I aimed for when I was young. Obviously I kept like, right. The the graduate school people to study. But as I've gotten older, I've sort of realized like not a lot of people get up and do this every day. Right. You know, like they fade 
I knew a guy in Austin who's brilliant. He wrote eight books that never got out of a out of his desk drawer. He, I'd read them, and I'm like, what? And he's like, I just, I, I, I submitted one, and they didn't like it, yeah. so I just stopped. And I'm like, yeah. but you didn't, right? You have a desk full. You have eight novels in yeah. here. Yeah. So you've never had that. Like, you just, like, you just go and do stuff. Yeah, I guess I just, I, I guess I just go and do stuff. I mean, I, and I think um, perhaps there are times that I should have been more careful or slow, and there are things that I've done that I wish I hadn't spent the time on. But um, I, I do generally feel like uh, if I'm not the world's greatest author, I'm getting better with everything I do, and that's the only way to, to do that is to keep writing and keep pushing for new opportunities yeah. and keep getting better, you know? How were the – how far apart were the um, the last policemen? Like how many years were between them? One. Okay. Between each. So the, the, the first one came out in July of 2012. And the sequel came out in July of 2013. Because those two seem yeah. like different books to me. Well, they are they are very different. I mean, like the writing, like the yeah. writing in the second one. I'm I, better. I, yeah, I told my wife the other day, like mm-hmm. this. Feel, the first one felt like the story of a guy, and the second one is feeling like the, a world in which there Wait is a the story. Wait to read the third one. I does, mean, is I, that does that seem like do you understand? Is that like I a do, fair? I do. Well, there are two things. Okay, that, so I, thank you. I, first of all, I think there are two things that. I, they're different stories because yeah. the, the first book is a year, about a year until the, the, the world is scheduled to end. Yeah. The second novel is more like, you know, a right. few months later. Yeah. So the, the, it's a different setting. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's essentially a different location because the disintegration of civilization has continued to pace. Yeah. Um, so although the hero is the same, it's a very different backdrop. And I also, Countdown City, which is the sequel, has a different sort of model. The first book is very much a... A kind of police procedural, yeah. where we're following him go through the, the beat to beat of solving this case. Yeah, it's like a one act or one man play with some people that happen to be there. Like mm-hmm. it is really sort of internal to him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the second one is follows more of a kind of missing person, um, and it's more of a PI novel where it's like the, you know a woman comes to him with a, who's in trouble, yeah. and he sets off on this adventure. Now the third book is even closer to the end. It's you know it takes place two weeks before the asteroid is scheduled yeah. to hit, and so it's really chaotic and really dark, yeah. frankly. Um, and so, those, so the three novels took different. They they have a different tone. They are. I was older, and I had learned from the previous one. And also, they were. So they required a different kind of energy. Yeah. Um, so they're just they're different kinds of books. Yeah. The second one feels. Um, I mean, I'm reading it on a Kindle, so it feels as a. It, it, it feels not weightier, but it. I, I called my wife, and she's in Nashville um, doing a thing, and I was like, Oh yeah, this book. This is. This is he's learned whatever it is he's learned something here and like whether it's you know the character more now or whether it's I don't need to get to know the character because I sort of already right. know him although I'm sure you still have to write it so that people that didn't read the first one can sort of like it's catch up and, yeah like who's the sister and yeah, yeah. why do I give a shit about her but it felt um, it is it just it, I, I like that progression like it, as a writer I was looking like okay like I don't know if you're good or bad I don't tell writers if they're good or bad but there's a progression, right? Which is all you can really hope for as a writer, that yeah. you're not doing the same shit over and over again. For sure. I think <laughs> I've gotten better with every book I've written, and now I'm working on my new project, which I feel like is going to be another sort of quantum leap. It's going to have to be because of the subject matter and because I know that I'm a better writer. And in writing those three books in that last policeman series, I just learned a ton. I think I feel like I learned a ton about how, how to create characters and how to yeah. do pacing and how to involve the reader and, and all this stuff that I'm like, now it's like I have it. Yeah, I, I, I earned it. I earned this new, you know, this, uh, this ability, and I sort of know I can't wait to bring it to a whole new thing. And it's That's nice too said. because you get to then like um, Larry Lessig, who's a lawyer who yeah. does a lot of sure. um, yeah, yeah, like and now he does the ethics stuff, right? But um, he said he works on stuff for ten years and then he puts it aside. It's why he moves from copyright into um, uh, ethics and politics, and I. At least as I was reading it and then sort of seeing what's coming next, because it's in the same, it's in the same sort of genre, right? Like it's this speculative, yeah. um, I think counterfactual. Yeah, um, right. uh, so, but you get to take that world that you and just set it aside, and this is not that. So yeah. it's not you're not sort of stuck That's with it. that. What's funny is that like I not know stuck, that but like forever now because I wrote this trilogy of books that have to do with asteroids and the end of the world, like, I will be associated in certain people's minds with being like, that's what he's interested in. Right. Right? Like, oh, he's, and like, I'll get tweets or whatever, be like, oh, there's an asteroid thing, you gotta read this. Right. And it's like, on a certain level, like, I don't care about that stuff at all. <laughs> I'm totally done right. thinking about right. asteroid science. I spent a lot of time 
carefully understanding asteroid science so that I could explain it to my readers and right. so that it could mean, be meaningful in the books. But I did that. It's purely because it was really important for right. this story. Right. You know, and now it's like, well, I just... I'm not particularly interested in that right. anymore. Now, the, the book that I'm doing now has to do with it has to do with American history. It has to do with like with um, with missing person investigation. It has to do with slavery. I'm learning a ton about a new set of information, and yeah. that's part of why I feel fortunate in what I do for a living. It gives me these opportunities to really immerse myself right. in a set of information. You get to have the degree that you didn't do in college. Yeah, right. right? Like, <laughs> and like I love that I lo- because it's just I think the world is interesting. Yeah, I'm really, I find you know pleasure. In learning things for this for this purpose, yeah. to, to translate it into story. It's a so this is the thing that I, I and, and this may not apply to you because you sort of write and different. I mean, like I've written a screenplay like for a short, which is you know I'm talking parable and you know I sort of ascribe to that David Foster Wallace thing that the deeper you get into writing, the harder it is to distinguish between fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when you do nonfiction, like at the end of the day, it's your interpretation of things, and we know like what you see is a really bad way to figure out what happened because you don't see everything. And so to a certain extent, even nonfiction is fiction, right? Because it's just a perspective that you happen to present as a thing that happened. Um, But I write nonfiction, I think, because I always had addict tendencies. And so as an addict, one of the things you do is like fucking construct bullshit lies. And so I always sort of gravitated to the to the nonfiction because that was sort of in my little world like a thing that I clung to, right? Mm-hmm. Like at least this is real. Mm-hmm. Like anything else that even if I wasn't telling everybody that this other stuff wasn't real, the nonfiction. So why do you did you have a thing like as a kid where you were like, oh, like I just want to make worlds up, or like was your were your parents like disciplinarians and didn't let you like <laughs> the nicest parents ever, which I think is part of why I'm so. Um, well, like, probably overly confident is that my parents were always like, you can do whatever you want. Uh-huh. You're great. So they were supportive. Like, they just said, like, here's books. Like, do what you want. Here's a guitar. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. Yeah. My, my dad was definitely every once in a while, like, so are you going to go to law school yet? But but never in a way that was like, <laughs> like are you going to so go to law yeah. It was just like, this is crazy. You know, this is crazy, right? Um, and But then every year I get, like, a, just enough yeah. encouragement from the universe that it was like I can't, I can't stop now. Yeah, you know. But they encourage you to be like to explore the creative yeah. things that you wanted to do. For sure, they totally did. Right, they totally. Did. And so this, like, in some way, encourages you to. I mean, that may be why you get into the fiction and the theater stuff because you, your parents said like, go explore that. Yeah, I think so. I also, in terms of nonfiction, I was, I, I am really, I, I don't know if I'm like, I just embarrass easily, maybe, or I'm really private, or I just, I never, I do not like to share. I don't. I'm not a nonfiction person in the yeah. sense of like memoir. I always just feel like my story of my life is not that interesting. Yeah. Anything that I any like story I would tell about my childhood or whatever. Yeah. I just I don't see anything in it. You know. That's so you don't read like nonfiction. Like you're a no. Fiction. I like nonfiction. I like to read. It. So you read nonfiction? I, oh sure. Oh yeah. I love nonfiction. <laughs> I love biography. I love memoirs. Um, so you love other people's disclosures? Oh sure. <laughs> I have a friend named Abby Share S H E R who read a wonderful memoir um, called A Man A Man A Man. About growing up with OCD and like yeah, she couldn't <laughs> stop praying. It's like a really beautiful, interesting yeah. book. But like, uh, it's, that's the thing. It's interesting. She yeah. had something, and you know, she she suffered some tragedies in her life. She just had interesting things to relate. Yeah. I don't like the idea of just writing a memoir or nonfiction just yeah. because. Yeah. Um, I also feel like it can be a trap that fiction writers can fall into yeah. um, very easily. Of just like what. What story from my past can I turn into a book? Or what is there yeah. about my childhood? So, so the last policeman doesn't come from you. No, I mean, it's zero percent. Yeah, no, clearly, like, like, there's clearly nothing. Like, I didn't read anything. Do you have a, the only thing that I thought was maybe you have a sister. Nope. Yeah. I have an older brother who lives in Concord, New Hampshire, and that's where the setting came from. <laughs> like, that's, that's literally the only. Goes, yeah. It, I mean, I think as the, as the relationship uh, between Palace and his sister developed over the course of the books, yeah. um, probably, I mean, I have, I have, Two daughters and a son, so yeah. I, I have. There is these relationships are meaningful to me in sure. terms of like family, but only in the broad. But they're young, like this is not like teeny. yeah. So it's not. I know nothing. Nothing. I mean, and I didn't. As I read it, at no point did I think like, oh, this oh, is. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I read fiction and I'm like, this is very clearly a person. Right. Like there, there's some bullshit's going on. Although you know, you're, you're. I'm always surprised when I think that how often we're wrong. Like how often things are totally whole cloth. And even as writers, we're always like. I'm always like, oh, he must have. That must come from somewhere. Yeah. I'm always shocked at how amazing it is that people just make stuff up. But I also think that, oh, <laughs> uh, I, that's the 
Yeah, that's the one. Of the yeah, on his wall, there's one of the, uh, the spectrum breaks in the book. I, I also think writers lie. I think that they don't talk about some of the things that influence them and that make their way into writing. Yeah, that's probably um, true. Because you want to shield fiction. People are you. You don't fiction people generally don't like to share. Yeah, that's true. It's why you couch it in. Um, but it's hard to tell. Much rather talk about the books or right. than anything. And, like, to me, like, I, uh, I've i never opened a book that we've done. Like, once it's sent off, like, I don't – to me, the process of writing is the thing I most enjoy. Mm-hmm. Whether a human being out there likes it or not, like, it's great if they do, but I take um, – I take 0% satisfaction when somebody says, I like this or I hate it. I think I, it's not – that's your thing. Yeah. Um, my thing was the process. I care about what other writers think about it. Yeah. Um, but I don't – take enjoy out of holding the thing that I made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm, I wish I could say I don't care at all. I mean, I definitely, I'm always uh, gratified when people like things. And I do. Gratified or relieved that they didn't hate it? No, no. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm relieved. That <laughs> I, uh, and I don't like it when people don't like the books, but what are you going to do? You know? that's, what, well, that's what I mean. Like you have the only review that I kept from our first book uh, was a two-page I mean, this guy just pulled his pants down and took a shit on our book for two pages in a magazine. And it's the, I framed it. It's yeah. the only review I kept was the one that the guy just hated. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, it had an impact. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you can learn from it, I mean, that's the only thing. If there's, if there's he was bitter. Better, it's, he was bitter that he didn't write the book. Uh-huh. That, uh-huh. It was a uh-huh. um, book about computer games, and he wrote it in a computer game magazine. Uh-huh. So it was uh-huh. like, there was no way he was right. going to like it. Right. Um, huh. But, like, for me, like, it, so when you get done with the book, like, what, like, what happens? Like, when you send it off and you're done, like, is there, like, a cathartic release? Or, like, are you just... No, I mean, what's weird about books is that there is no sort of... I mean, I guess there is a defined moment when you're like, that was the very last draft. <laughs> but it, there is... It's such a sort of the squishy period where you finish... You know, you finish the first draft, and then you finish the, rough, the second draft, right. and then you do the copy-edited draft, and there's a final draft, and then you right. send it to you one more time. And it's like... So the, I, it's hard to pinpoint what, and usually by the time it's done, done, I've already started the yeah. next thing. So it, it doesn't feel like that remarkable. You know, I, I definitely, the, the day that it comes out, I'm usually a little bit tweaked. Sure, you go to the like, bookstore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I try to stay off stay off the internet so I'm not checking, you know, the... Refreshing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so easy to get, to, get, to, get, to get sucked into that, you know, and it's yeah. like, I hate, to, I hate to waste a writing day worrying about, you know, how something is faring. Yeah. When, when again, when there's something you can do about it, you know, it's just you have to try to just do the things you can do um, and not worry about it. Yeah. So, so do you have a uh, – so what's the process? Like, as you're writing, like, how, how do you do it? Like, you immerse yourself in research first and then you, write? You look around, you see there's a lot, I got a lot of yeah. books in here. Uh, I do a lot of reading. It's not prior to the writing. It's usually simultaneous. So I usually will have, like um, – uh, I'll be reading a bunch of stuff, and I will be at the same time taking notes on it. But also have another document open where I'm drafting yeah. things that come to mind. I'll, I'll pretty early on I'll do a, a loose-ish outline. Um, I write uh, what I call the secret book, where I'm just sort of telling myself all the secrets about the book. Because you know, mystery in particular, there's a lot of information that you, as the writer, want to know um, and hold in advance, hold back. Um, but you want to get it clear in your mind. So I'll write you know a few paragraphs of like. Here's what happened. You know, here's yeah. the solution. Here's 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 the solu- Here's the solve yeah. to the whole thing. Um, here's the backstory. Basically, right. tell myself all this, and I'll revise it, and revise it, and revise it. Um, so that even as the proper narrative, the novel is moving forward. There's I'm building this repository of all the secrets and all the information, sure. and the backstory, um, whatever. So basically, there's a very rough draft that is evolving at the same time as I have an outline that's evolving, and at the same time as I'm continuing to do a lot of research. Yeah. And then, so... Feed the research into the ongoing work. I'm also interviewing people. I do a lot of um, talking to experts about things. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you do do nonfiction. You just... Then it comes out as a fiction story. That's true. Um, and then, so, what, do you get up every day and write? Or, like, do you have, like, writing days? Or with no, the kids? I, I you... write every day. Um, I get... Yeah, usually the kids are all dropped off to school or daycare by about 9.15. I try to write from 9.20 to 12.30 every yeah. day is my best time. If I can do it, and then um, the afternoons, I usually I try to do like all like email and phone call yeah. and, and non um, writing stuff. Uh, I can't then, write it. I have to write in the morning these days. Yeah, I've reached that age where like 
after like three o'clock, I can't keep shit straight for yeah. long periods of time. I don't think that necessarily has to do with age. I think it has to do with just different people have different yeah. uh, rhythms or whatever. And I do, but I used to be able to write at night. Now I can't. Mm-hmm. Like if I get tired, mm-hmm. my brain gets foggy. Yeah, yeah, and yes, I do sometimes try to write at night also after everybody's asleep and after we've had dinner and so on. But um, usually that's better time spent doing research or reading something. I do a lot of outlining and arranging notes and preparing for tomorrow mm-hmm. so that I can get up and, like, get started. Well, that is one thing. I do try to know exactly what I'm going to do the next day yeah. before I go to sleep because um, it's really helpful to not start the day staring at the screen and going, what am I working on? What's yeah. the point of this thing? I also turn off – I also have various programs. That Just about to say, I have freedom on my yeah. computer. There's one called self-control that's actually yeah. better than free. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I disable the internet on my computer. I try to do it for the whole day, so yeah. I'll, I'll set it to be off for six hours. Yeah. Um, so then when I turn on my computer at nine, I, I'm not checking the emails. I mean, I try to keep my phone actually in another part of the house. Yeah. Um, my, mine is downstairs. I had to, I told my wife we need to get a two story place to live because if I have my shit in the same place, I'll. Total menace. Total menace. But I have the home phone usually upstairs with me in case there's an emergency. Right. But um, that doesn't ring often. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have a writing group? Do you have people that you write? Because you guys, did, when did you move no. back here? Uh, when, did, when did we move to Indy? Yeah. Uh, two and a half years ago. Uh-huh. Like so, you just do this by yourself. Like, you don't have a group of writers that yeah, you bounce stuff really, off. I never really have. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, there are a couple friends uh, who every once in a while I will send a few chapters to. Yeah. Like, what is, how is this looking? Um, but no one, no, I don't have a writing group. Really? Yeah. Um. Just not a thing that you wanted to do, or like this, you can't really handle understand. the feedback. Uh, not, not not feedback like, not, oh, it upsets like me, feedback. but just like, I I, I'm doing this thing and you're going to derail me until I'm done. I guess I am really, I never, it never, it just never entered into my sort of world. Um, uh, but like you did that. Second City in theater, like you did, or is that why you didn't like those things? Well, because it was no, too, no, I, it's not that I'm against getting feedback. And giving feedback, I think it has to do with time. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I'm going to be sitting in a room with other people discussing the work, yeah. I'd rather just be writing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and not, and uh, it would have to be such exactly the right people. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. that I, I'm not sure if it would be a value for me. And I, I maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. By the way. Well, I mean, it's working. I mean, and that's the thing. <laughs> I, think I'm, I, I think I was um, perhaps fortunate enough to actually to start publishing and to develop a relationship with an editor. So I had some ongoing feedback. So you do. You're, it's just their editor is your writing. Yeah, you. and now I'm excited to work with this editor a little brown. I just, I think, yeah. And I think, you know, my wife will read some of my early drafts and give me some feedback. But in terms of other writers, I haven't ever really developed those relationships. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's a mistake, but I think um, that's just how it is. I think that every, I think you said it earlier. I think everybody does their thing. Like, yeah. And for me, like I've always had uh, my so I have a writing partner, um, and we we work together on stuff, but then we sort of do our own thing. And um, I, he kind of has a writing group of people that see stuff, but really he and he's the guy that sits down for four hours and writes six hundred words, and like those are the six hundred words that are going to be in the book. Uh-huh. Whereas I sit down and write five thousand words, and I'm like, maybe there's a sentence yeah. I'm going to find today. And those are just different rhythms. <laughs> yeah. So like a group for him is not helpful because it's the group is sort of happening in his head. Right. Whereas I just need to get everything out and then see it. Yeah. Are, which one are you? I'm I'm more like you. Yeah. I will write a lot and then um, sort of peel it away and revise and revise and cut and cut and rearrange. Um, and realize, have you ever written something? This is like the most painful shit in the world. The best chapter we wrote didn't go in our book because it didn't fit. I wrote 10,000 oh, words. all the time. And I was like, everywhere we go, people are like, what's your favorite story? I'm like, not in the book. Right. I mean, I think that happens. <laughs> I mean, I wrote three quarters of The Last Policeman in um, in third person past tense. And then I was Ooh, like, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't right. I need to start over. And I did. And I mean, that was six months of work. But like, that's just, that's part of writing. Yeah. You know, and this is what I tell students. It's like, it's not... There's no such thing as wasted time. Right. You're working on a book, and you're, you're working on it, you're working on it. And, like, you might spend a day trying to write one sentence. You might spend a day writing a hundred sentences, but the next day you go, these are bad sentences. Yeah. But like, you, you're living in the universe of the story. You're building in your mind what it needs to be. Yeah. And it's growing. And yeah. Like, that's just what you have to do. It's always my wife laughing me because when I write... Um, I, the world just, I could not give two shits about. And I will walk outside with, like, shirts on inside out. Um, before I was married, I went on two dates with shirts, like, inside out and backwards. Because mm-hmm. I was editing the book, and I just sort of lose 
whatever's happening is less important than the thing, the yeah. world. I can relate to that. And I, it's actually, um, I make a point of part of the reason that I very carefully plan out my writing day. And, I, and to the point that I will say from, you know, from 9.20 to 11, I'm going to work on this section of the yeah. book. And then I'm going to pause for 20 minutes. And then from 11.20 to 1, I'm going to revise this section. And then from 1.20 to 3, I'm going to do this. Because then at 3 o'clock, when it's time to go pick up my kids... I'm done. Yeah. I, am, I, am, I have checked off those assignments. Right. I put that aside, and I'm going to be focused on non-writing things throughout right. the day. And I find that the more that I focus on writing and do a, and feel like I'm doing a positive job of doing that work, yeah. then I can then do a positive job of doing the other things that yeah. are meaningful. It's funny. I was, I was listening to the Louis C.K. and Mark Maron podcast coming over here, and that Louis C.K. said exactly the same thing. It's like, I didn't understand people that would be successful to the, at the detriment of their family. Yeah. Right, who were just like, well, I'm so de-. like football coaches who were saying like, you know, their wives don't see them from September to yeah. January, and then like you see the code into the story, and they're like, and they're divorced. And he was yeah. like, I don't. Yeah. That's not how creativity has to happen. Right. It's only what happens if you are um, not lazy, but if you if you don't. It's just a romantic notion of writing as being this sort of all-consuming, uh, powerful being. Right. That, that just happens. happens. And, like, it's all a bunch of BS. It's part <laughs> of mythology. That, and, frankly, I think it is supported by a society that doesn't really reward um, the arts as uh, as a way to make a living. Yeah, yeah. Society sees you. you I'm, you are familiar with this, I'm sure. You, you, you somebody, my wife would love you. I'm right a writer. They, and they go, oh, well, yeah, what else do you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and if you if they haven't, right? Yeah. If you're not James Patterson, if you're not Stephen King, if you're not or James Patterson, writers, then they presume <laughs> that you're a starving artist. Right. Those are the only categories of writer or actor, frankly, or musician yeah. that are allowed to exist in our society. Right. Not truthfully. In fact, there are many working writers who aren't household names, but that's how the world wants to see the arts. Yeah. As being this, first of all, sort of divinely inspired mythic right. thing in which one is either a famous millionaire yeah. or one is fooling themselves. Right. But they also feel like this is so my wife, the, her, her little art company, not little, her art company, her company that uses art is a for-profit because she said, I'm sick and tired of people telling me I should do my art for the love of my art. This is a skill that I spent my whole life developing. And for you to just say, like, come in here and do this and here's $50 and I should be happy for the audience, she would never say this, but the response is, fuck you. Like, you come in and do your skill that you spent your whole life on. And I think that we teach – I think that we – I think what you're saying, but we teach writers and and artistic people that, like – Passion is a thing that you should just do, and it is. Right. But you should also demand that people respect that in right. the ways that we do in our capitalist society. Right. But if you, <laughs> right, it's now, if you take pleasure in it, or if it's joyful, then it's not really work, and right. it doesn't really deserve to be rewarded right. with with a, a, a work, you know, a living income and yeah. with the health benefits. Yeah. Those my favorite thing is when people are like, "Oh, you're right." Like, I, I want to write a book, and uh, it just, that shit drives me crazy. Yeah. Like, you can just yeah. sit down and like, I've got a great idea. But that's cool, and I think everyone should write a book because it's awesome. Writing books is awesome, but it also takes an enormous amount of patience yeah. and skill. It's and like waiting tables. You should do it so that you won't say that anymore. Yeah, right. Right. Do it, but you should do it. But you should also recognize that people who do it well deserve to make a living at it. Yeah, yeah, and well is a. Um, you know, it, I have this discussion with writers all the time, too. But I, like, I classify writers in very specific kinds of ways. Like, there are people that are um, crass folks, you know, people that, like, get up and they write. And I don't care whether the product is good or not. Like, I want the product to be good. But I will engage in non-perfect writing because I can see the process that the writer is going through. Like, I read differently, I think, than my mom reads. She yeah. reads to enjoy. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what you're trying to do. Right, 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 like right. that, and people that are that are both crafty without sort of being, um, you know, bull, like just using bullshit tropes to to move the story along. Those are writers to me, and everybody else are like people who write. Right. Like I'm very judgmental in that uh-huh. way. Um, not that everybody can't do it, but like I, I do, I make distinctions. Um, is that a thing you do, or do you? Is that you don't really hang out with writers, so you don't really I care, right? I mean, I teach, I teach at Butler, I teach plenty of writers. And I, I, but I don't, I think when I, I'm definitely judgmental when I read, for yeah. sure. I mean, but not, um. It's different with students, but I mean, like, people that are out in the world, right, that, like, when you read a book, don't you, like, I don't read James Patterson. Right. Like, that seems like, the few stuff that I've seen just seems like, like, I know what's going to happen. Well, he's a special case, because he writes 14 books a year now. I mean, yeah. Well, people but, write. But there is, there, I think that. 
I wouldn't say that those aren't real, that that's not real writing, because it takes a particular kind of skill to do what he's doing. Yeah. And I think that, or any kind of like, you know, um, it's like pop music, right? Like it's going to be disposable stuff that you, yeah. Well, unlike Stephen King, like the best book Stephen King ever wrote is on writing. Uh-huh. I love that book. Right? I've never met a writer who's read it that's like, oh, I, I mean, it's like yeah. changed my entire perception of Stephen King. Beautiful book. The thing, and, and he's a and any any interview with him, like he takes the process really seriously. He believes in the art of it right. deeply, and he understands what he does, and he understands when he writes a certain way. What you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not an accident. He didn't. He may have fallen into that career, but he has now turned that into. A craft, right? And I don't know that Patterson and that group of people have turned it into a craft. You know, the truth is, I don't read it. I haven't read enough of James Patterson in particular, or to, to say. I will say that anyone who's doing something that that many people take pleasure in, um, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to poo poo it. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, that's not real writing. I mean, fuck it. There are people who read my books who are like, ah, that's stupid. Yeah, and like I would disagree. You yeah. know, uh, so. I think I just think there are a lot of different readers. There are a lot of different sure. kinds of stories, and um, it takes some level of art to do anything well enough to gain a wide audience. And there's no audience wider than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, yeah, I don't begrudge anybody their success, and like, uh, and I like want people to do that because you know, rising tide, all boats, all that kind of shit. Like, the more people are reading, the more people will buy books, right? So it's great that that right. is a thing that makes people read. Um, I would never send my. I would never sit down with him and be like, "I'm interested in your critique." Sure. Okay. Uh, whereas, like, if Stephen King was like, "Hey, I want to take a look at your stuff," I'd be like, "Yeah, you know, this is actually a thing. Like, I kind of want to hear what you think mm-hmm. about the structure of the thing because, and that's sort of how I break people down. Like, I don't know if that's my own, not in public. I mean, other than like this, but like, I, I don't go to readings and I'm like, "Oh, excuse me, why did you write that piece of shit?" Like, you know, I don't write book reviews for books I don't like. Like, yeah. I'm not really that. Right. Um, I don't give a shit enough about that, but I do. I do um, find myself the older I get, reading books. Do you read books differently? Like, do you? I mean, not the research because that's obviously. But like, when you sit down to enjoy a book, are you trying to figure out what the author's doing? Or are you sitting back and enjoying the ride? I'm generally sitting back and enjoying the ride. I think that I like books too much. I get I get carried away really? in, the, in the storytelling. Unless it's not. Unless I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm very quickly like oh, I, I get it. I see the. I can see the, yeah. probably more so than the average reader, because I do write books, I can sort of see the machinery at work. I can yeah. see the, the strings, um, and I get frustrated with it. But a really good book, I quickly forget yeah. that I'm a writer, and I quickly forget that I'm like, I understand how story is structured, how pace is structured. I'm just like, oh my God, the story's awesome. I love yeah. the pacing. This is great. So, um, I wish I could do that. Huh. I told my students, like, once, like, I ruin movies for them, because I'm like, you'll know who's going to die. Right. You know, once you start to figure this out, like, right. you're not shocked. Somehow I manage to turn off that part of my brain when I'm involved in these stories. Even, like, we watch TV shows, and my wife will be like, oh, well, obviously, that that's good. I'm like, what? Don't ruin it. <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh, no, come on. I got mad. Um, uh, I wouldn't read any of the Harry Potter books when they came out because I told my writing partner, well, the author is very clearly Hermione, and if this was, like, a classically structured story she would have to die because really she's solving all the problems it's really Hermione in the sorcerer so like she's the one that sort of comes up with the answers to everything and so Harry never has to like really step up and so I would have whacked her at a very certain point half but I'm like that's the author like there's no way she's dying because that's not going to happen and like that kind of shit bothers me um, even though it's not my book and like billions of kids now read because of that right. um, but like every time kids bring it up I'm like shitty book I haven't read it uh, don't, because Hermione doesn't die ever. Hermione doesn't die. Because it's a children's book. Um, yeah, well, they also came out 15 years ago, like, right. and I teach kids who read it, so. Right. But I didn't, because I knew, like, you either gotta, like, either Obi-Wan's gotta go, right. you know, or, like, right. don't put him in. Right, right. Um, so, d- one last thing, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, so, the new book that you're yes. working on, do you talk a lot about books before you write them, while you write them? I, try, I mean, I, 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 no, not in particular. I mean... You blogged about this one, so that's I, why I, I have to think about it. <laughs> I don't think about it. It's called Underground Airlines. Um, and, ba- I mean, the nutshell is that it's, uh, it takes place in, pre- in the present day, except it's a version of the United States in which the Civil War was never fought, yep. and there is still slavery in a handful of This countries. is the alternate American history. Right, right. So is that like the, do you think that's sort of the genre that you're going to stay in for a while? You mean like speculative? Yeah, the speculative fiction, fiction the sort of you, the I counterfactual, like I just doing this one. 
I think that each idea, I, I think I will recognize that that's my next idea and I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to worry too much about what the future holds yeah. you know, career-wise. Yeah. But this is definitely, the, I, I had this idea a while ago. I was like, this is what I want to do. So this is the thing. This is, this is, this is, you've been working on this. I've been working on this, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a big, I think it's going to be a big book and there's obviously a lot going on and it's, um. Well, that was what I was going to ask because the, the, the last policemen were not small, but like they were, you know, it's sort of a tiny, it's a guy in this sort of yeah. town. Yeah. And just reading about this one, I feel like this was World War Z. Like, this was going to be a, like, this was going to be a, it's a bigger America. story. It's, America. it's a bigger story. It's still, it's more still, characters. It's about, if there are more characters yeah. and it goes more places, it's still one, very much one guy yeah. story. And it's very much one guy um, navigating a really complicated and dark world. Yeah. But other than that, it's, it's very, very different. But the, but the characters are not, um, the characters in The Lost Policeman are there, by and large, to move the plot along. Like they, other than the main character, like they sort of reveal certain things about this. And as I was, re- but the second, as I said, like the second book felt more like the characters were now there were more than just the one guy. Mm-hmm. Like now there were these other people that mm-hmm. were learning about. It. And I'm like, okay, the world's sort of getting a little bit bigger. You said the third one's going to be. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be a big bigger book. Canvas, yeah, yeah, this is going to be. I think uh, it's a bigger canvas, and it's um, it's important that it be. Uh, um, I, well, well researched for one thing, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but yeah. I find it uh, um, fascinating, and then we'll go, I swear to God, uh, <laughs> that, you know, uh, 20 years ago when uh, we were, or, you know, starting out, it was sort of the end of the time where you could sign like a five book deal, mm-hmm. right? And they would sort of let you learn through the first couple books, and then, yeah. um, and I, I think those outlets and routes are less and less, and it's harder and harder for yeah. authors to do that. And so, again, like, as I was reading the post, I was like, oh, like, this is, like, people don't know. Like, this is the way authors used to get made, right? Like, you're sort of in a genre, and you're writing these stories, and they're, you're learning and getting bigger, and now comes, like, I don't know if it's the opus, but now, like, this is the big, the big thing, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, again, I, just, like, I think it, it's, it's so different for everybody. Like, yeah, definitely, I did that series the last policeman series, and it got a certain amount of notice. And I think, like we were saying before, I think I developed my craft yeah. in the course of writing it, and I think it attracted some attention from from publishers. And so I think this, I, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity yeah. to write this new book, which I do think is going to be a, ser- a more serious book and a bigger book. Um, not, I mean, the last policeman I feel like is big in its themes and its serious and its ideas, yeah. um, and it uses this the detective genre, which I love, to get into some some kind of important thematic area, yeah, I guess, yeah. for, for lack of a less pretentious way of saying that. And the new thing is going to do that, too, for sure. It's about... A world with slavery. Yeah, but I mean, it's also, it's about it's about the history of real slavery, and it's about yeah. race, and it's about the way that people see each other, and it's about, like, compromises that we make. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's so it's, it's got some, hopefully it's going to have some things to say, while at the same time being a really uh, good story. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, and, and I don't think that people realize, um, not that they don't realize, but that it, you know, like, it, the route that you have is, like, the way that we should be treating writers, right, which is that you sort of have this space to develop so that you can then take on, like, if you took on this theme five years ago as a writer. I wouldn't be good enough to do it. Right, and so this sort of, not that, I mean, like, I'm enjoying the, the Lost Police, or Last Police, but I don't even know, I don't think I'm the target audience for that. Like when you wrote it, who were you like? It, what do you mean? I, I, like a forty-year-old guy? Like is that like yeah. a sci-fi dude? Sure. Is I mean, that, I, I, I don't think I thought that much about the audience in particular, but certainly it's not for kids, and yeah. it's not for um my my great aunt. Although my aunt loved it. I mean, I think it's for for readers of various stripes. Certainly, mystery readers, sci-fi readers. It seemed more like a detect- like it seemed more like people that were. Detective, like, I don't know who reads detective stories, but that's who it seemed aimed at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what my mom mystery, reads. I, 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 I imagine The Last Policeman very much as a mystery story and was happy that it garnered some uh, attention from sci-fi audiences yeah. also, which I think is just because if there's an asteroid in your book, it's I totally think book. that's why it was, because it's, it's not a sci-fi it's book. It's not a sci-fi in the traditional sense yeah. of being it really yeah. all about science, uh, you know, a, the implications of, of uh, yeah. technology. Nobody was getting on a, a, a plane to no go, spaceships. like, they were going to drill yeah. in and blow it up, right? Specifically not, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, there was the big joke sort of about 
you know, yeah, blowing up, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. blowing up, uh, was it India who was yeah. going to try to, uh, you know, because like that would be yeah. or Pakistan, yeah, because that would be they're gonna irradiate the earth. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for sitting down with me. Pleasure. This was great. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming Hope you enjoyed it. Definitely go check out Ben's books. Find them on Amazon. I bought the di- I bought the digital versions. Um, I'll finish up the trilogy sometime this week. Uh, looking forward to the next book, which just sounds that um, I'm really interested in the process that he goes through. I'm really interested to see the evolution of that. Make sure you check out thegeekypress.com backslash events. Find out about the Downtown Riders Jam happening in November at Indie Reads Books. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. We will see you next time. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.